Chi-Town, you know what it is Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange Yeah, Windy City, you know what it is Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange Yeah What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Rule of Three podcast, a Chicago Bears show hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, along with Brandon Robinson, and subbing in for Danny Meehan today is the boss himself, WCG's, I don't know what we would call you, really, like, lead writer, uh, Lester Wilfong who is coming in today to help us walk through what we thought of the Chicago Bears draft, now a couple days removed from it, as well as a bit of the Charles Leno news, which we're reacting to from earlier this afternoon. A lot of Bears stuff to talk about. I mean, given the last six weeks and how dry it's been, what a wet and wonderful conversation that we get to have today. How are you guys doing? We'll start with you, Lester. I'm doing great. I mean, this this draft went probably as about as good as any Bears fan could have hoped. I know before the draft started, most of us were, were anticipating, you know, Ryan Pace doing Ryan Pace things. And, you know, m- maybe it's true what, what they said, you know, a few months ago that Ryan Pace is getting better at his job. He's learning on the job. That's the that's the line of BS. They sold us. But after watching this draft, maybe there's some truth to it. Maybe. Brandon, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm really excited. I, I wasn't is down as many Bears fans were. It's, it just seemed like, you're, yourself included, Rob, that everybody was just expecting the very worst possible scenario, like trading back up into the first to get Kellen Mond, like just just getting Davis Mills, trading, ba- trading back for him. But it just it was literally just a dream. Like if we were drawing up the best case scenario, this was better than that. Oh, I can tell you, Brandon, I'll own it. I was terrified with a capital T that the Bears were going to take a second-round pick and use it on the best quarterback available, whoever that was at the time. And so the fact that the Bears were able to instead trade up for a guy who I think has become criminally underrated out of nowhere. I mean, he spent, what, what do you guys think, the last four, maybe six years being compared directly to the one and only Trevor Lawrence, and then all of a sudden, you know, he really tanked his draft class because he decided to bring his entire conference back into football and got his way to a national championship beating Clemson, and, you know, that's why he fell to number 11. I don't understand it, but I'm glad it happened. I mean, this really feels like the Bears caught a rare break that people have been waiting for them, saying, I know I've seen it all over the place. Like, at some point, the Bears have got to catch a break, and it, and it finally feels like they did. Lester, when you saw the Justin Fields pick, what were your initial thoughts? How are you feeling about it? You know, when, when the Bears first trade up, I was like a lot of fans. I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's, it's, it might be Mac Jones here just because that just seemed, again, you know, a lot of us are going in just thinking thinking the worst. And, you know, when they made the call for Justin Fields, I I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I, I actually probably yelled out, you know, I'm, I'm home alone pretty much. And I think I think my wife was downstairs watching TV. And I think I, I kind of just, uh, I, I mean, it was like watching a game. You know, I got excited. It was it was really good move for the Bears. You know, this is like you said, he, he's a, you know, what they're saying is a generational talent. He has been compared to Trevor Lawrence for their entire college and high school careers. You know, these were the two guys. And then all of a sudden, the last few months, you know, there was some work ethic questions and some other BS questions that popped up about Justin Fields. And, you know, I think we all kind of know what, what kind of goes into that. But, you know, here we are. The Bears, you know, made the move at 11. And, and now, 
you know, again, they have to do it on the field. But the way it looks right now, this is the the the, the most potential the Bears have had at that spot in a really long time. I mean, it's wild. Not to mention, Lester, one of the common refrains we've had with Ryan Pace drafts, let's let's pick one. Let's not even touch 2017. Let's talk about the David Montgomery draft or the Cole Kmet draft, right? Normally, we take that first pick, and that gets scrutinized heavily. Cole Kmet is a great example. But then we look at the rest of the draft, and we say, yeah, but look at the rest of these guys they got. A lot of these players could turn out really, really well, and many times they do. In this Bears draft, we couldn't have gotten anything else. But maybe the two best picks out of anybody else, like in terms of the top two that the Bears got, obviously you look at our folks like the Jaguars and others with higher pick count or higher numbers and whatnot and see what they get. But Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins, Brandon, how do you feel about the fact that the Bears pulled those two back? Well, it's funny because the big criticism of Ryan Pace is always like he – he has to trade up for the guy he wants. He has to trade up for the guy he wants. And, and like, even, I, I mean, I've had the problem with it because he's, he always trades more than he should. And then he trades up for a generational quarterback. And it's just literally the best thing that he could possibly do. And then we go to round two and I'm sitting there like, Tevin Jenkins is still on the board. They have to find a way to get him. And that's, exactly what Ryan Pace did. A lot, of, a lot of people, me and Rob included, had Tevin Jenkins going to the Bears at 20, and Ryan Pace trades up with his, with his third-round pick, gets up, and grabs him. I, like, it was just a, it was a great move. Not to mention, I think one of the most interesting parts for me, and like you said, Glenn David, you do have to give major credit to the talent scouts for not only identifying fields, but identifying Jenkins. Reports have come out later that Jenkins had a first-round grade. I don't think any of us are surprised. Jenkins is a phenomenal player at what has become, let's talk about it, I know that there's a lot of conversation around right tackle versus left tackle, and Lester, you yourself have talked about, the more that the Joey Bosa's and the Khalil Max are lining up against the Bobby Masseys and other Jermaine Fadies and other right tackles of the world, the more your right tackle needs to be about as skilled, if not just as skilled, as your left tackle. But if you guys have seen what I've seen, left tackle markets are still crazy. It's still extremely hard to get a left tackle for near the same price that you get a right tackle so you talked about how ryan pace off kind of throws costs to the wind brandon it is interesting with this charles leno cut if we weave that news in because if you haven't heard charles leno was released recently that if the bears do plan on playing tevin jenkins picked out of the 39th spot of the draft at left tackle maybe there's something to be said for while you take a hit in the future you build out an even cheaper team with those first two picks. Lester, do you think this is a crazy move? How much do you think it hurts in the short term? And ultimately, do you think it might be the right move in the long term, or is it not one you would have made? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, it's possible in the long term it's the best way to go. I mean, with, you know, it, while I'm I'm not adamant that you have to, you know, put your your, your your top draft pick at left tackle, you know, left tackle still is the premier spot on the, on the line. You know, yes, it is the blind side protector, but like you mentioned, you know, the, the Bosa's, Mac, Von Miller, you know, the stud pass rushers, you know, this isn't in the 1980s where they only come off, off of the left edge. You know, those guys, they try and match up against the right side because, like I said, usually the right side, the right tackle is a little uh, less skilled, uh, so those guys are able to eat against those guys. So that's why you, 
if the Bears would have kept Jenkins the right tackle, I'd have no problem with it. Keep him there. Let him start there. Let him play there for the next, you know, 10, 15 years. That's your guy. Since they're making a decision now, it seems like to make him left tackle, fine. If that's the case, you know, it better work out and let, let him stay there for the next 10, 15 years. I think that's the best way to go. But again, with a guy like Jenkins, let's say he, he's not able to make the transition because he's been mostly a right tackle in his career. The fallback plan is put him at the right side. I mean, either way, he's going to be a guy that's on your line for, for the next decade. You know, I'm not overly worried about right or left. I think that in the grand scheme of things, in the short term, like you said, I think the better two tackles would have been Leno and, and Jenkins because I'm not high on a Fetty. I think a Fetty looked better last year when he did move to tackle, you know, but he has four years of crappy tape at right tackle from the Seahawks and maybe Juan Castillo fixed him. It's possible, but that's a big gamble to take, especially if you're going to put your rookie number one quarterback in that spot. Well, you know, it doesn't help anything, Lester, that whatever I say, we're going to be talking about a guy in Leno who has almost no highlights to speak of and pretty much only lowlights. I mean, Charles Leno is not a flashy player. He's a guy who he, you're only going to see, if you will, about 50 snaps a year, but he's going to play somewhere on the order of 800, and about 700 of those get forgotten about, and those are the ones where he does his job. It's nothing, or it's nothing crazy, it's nothing interesting, but the running back squeezes by him, or the, ta- or the tackler doesn't quite get around him. You know what I mean? When you look at a guy like Leno, he is about as average as you can be. He, he's he's not a, a mauler. He, he doesn't have you know he, he doesn't have great athleticism. You know he does usually just enough to get by. And you know yes, he's had some issues on some of his tape. And but if you look at his overall stuff, if you guys like uh, like 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 Owen Crutes, uh, Brandon Thorne, Duke Mannyweather, guys that actually do this for a living and watch tape for a living, you know they all say the same thing. He, he's serviceable. He's nothing special. But he's a guy that you can get by. But I understand that it's it's a move to save $9 million. It's a move for the future. He wasn't going to be here past this year anyway. So you know what? Let's just pull the Band-Aid off, you know, put your your, your second-round pick at that spot, and then let's see what happens. What do you think, Brandon? I know it's a risky move because I I agree with Lester that Ifedi, to me, is a lesser tackle than Leno is. But as far as potentially just – trying to put Jenkins in that left tackle spot and letting him grow there. Do you think that's ridiculous, or what do you, would you have left him at right? Well, for, for Leno, I, just, I, I didn't think that he could go into the season being on an $11 million cap hit, like being, that being his last year on the contract. I thought they needed to find some way to lower his cap hit, whether that be extend him or just plain outright cut him, just because I didn't think that he was – he was good enough to be on that cap hit just for long-term cap purposes. But but for Jenkins, I would have I would have liked to see him on the right side just because that's where his best tape has been. But I also don't think that there's anything wrong with trying him out on the left side because I mean, it's not like you can't move him back to right if he's just that bad at left because the thing is, if you leave him on the left side, it's I like I went back and I watched Jermaine Effetti right before the draft, and it just so it just so happens that I did that because I actually I thought he was bad, but when I went back to the tape, he, he just looked so much smoother and so much so much more technical than he ever did before. I th- really think that Juan Castillo 
really made some waves with him. And that's why they re-signed him and brought him back was because if they were able to do that in such a short amount of time, that there is some upside with him. I actually thought, I actually was disappointed that it was only a one-year deal once I saw how well he played on tape, just because you would have that cap savings if you would have signed him to two years. So I, I think they're banking on the upside of a Fetty. Him just, he's going to turn 27 right before the season starts. And if he does prove that he can play well, now you have your right tackle for the future. And, you know, the more you talk about it, the more that you bring up a really good point, Brandon, that familiarity is kind of everything. You talk about the strides that Castillo made, but also guard was the new position for Fetty. He'd had three years at tackle with the Seahawks just before that. So maybe something like a little bit of Castillo and a little bit of familiarity blended well together. In that same way, if the Bears do try Jenkins on the left side, and whether in the draft process or, or by draft, I meant camp process, or even partway through the season, maybe even after a full season, just like Kyle Long's experiment at right tackle, they say, eh, this isn't really working, then at least Jenkins has all that experience to fall back on. So Either way, the best part about the Jenkins pick is we're talking about a very, very good player who pretty much his only knock is a hip injury in the past and somewhat short arms, though Penay Sewell and the rest of this draft class actually had pretty short arms themselves, leaving all that at the door. Lester, when you look at this offensive line, do you think with Jenkins on it and Leno off of it, it's a better offensive line than it was? And if you would look, do you think their best days are well ahead of them in the future or this next season? You know, I, I think the key is obviously Jenkins. I mean, Jenkins, you know, he has the potential to be the best offensive lineman the Bears have had, you know, at that spot since since the 80s. I mean, he is, I mean, he's just, his tape is just fun to watch. And if that translates to the left side, the Bears and Bears fans are going to have a, a lot of fun watching that guy play football. But but I think the key for this line right now is what happens on the interior. Is is, is it Sam Mustafer? Is he going to take that step as a player and, and really lock down that, that, that spot at center? I mean, that's what Matt Nagy talks about. They think he can do it, you know, but again, he has to do it because we're we're talking about tape. You know, here's a guy that, you know, he he wasn't atrocious last year, you know, but he had some physical issues where he just, there's certain things he couldn't do. You know, part of that strength, part of it just may be him not, you know, being in that spot for a while. But I think if Mustafer can make that next step at center, I think you have White here, you have Daniels coming back from his injury. And I think the interior is kind of stabilized. And I think that kind of helps helps everything because when you have that, those five guys working in unison, the whole unit is better. And if we can get the same five guys starting out camp and that's who you're going to have, and, and they all are able to, to really lock down those spots. I think this O-line could be better than it was a year ago. I think you may be onto something here. And I know bears fans. I thought, or what is this? Suri Paul. I thought you brought this up. Well, you talk about Arlington Hambright and Levishka Simmons. Uh, I think this is about where we weave Larry Borum into the conversation, the fifth round pick. I've seen some people going as far as projecting that maybe he will be the starting left tackle. I can go ahead and tell you right now, even though he lost 25 pounds, his feet are slow enough that Personally, I think he projects better at guard, but he's a fifth-round pick. He's probably not a tagged starter at this point, 
But even so, it feels like the Bears' interior offensive line, if not the offensive line overall, has a little bit more depth with Wilkinson on the roster as a swing tackle, for instance, and now some young players, Alex Bars, Sam Mustaver, still in that core. Brandon, when you look at this team, do you think that the depth got better? Do you think that the starters got better? Kind of a similar vein to Lester. How do you feel about the offensive line now that we've got a franchise quarterback to protect? Well, I think that's actually one of the parts that I am worried about is depth because that's what killed them last year was when they got killed on the O-line with injuries, that's when Rashad Coward had to play. And as everybody knows, he's awful. So, I mean, they did bring in Larry Borum. I am not nearly as high as everybody else just because of the scheme fit. I think if he was in more of an inside zone scheme, I think he could play inside at guard because he's, because it's different. You're, you're blocking on a 45 against three techs in an inside zone scheme. But in an outside zone heavy scheme, he has to reach those three techs. And I just don't think that he has any ability as far as foot quickness to be able to do that. So I think that's going to be a huge problem if he was to play guard. So, if I mean, if you talk, talk about him as a tackle, I, I would love a missed tackle just because then he can sit and just develop and – see what Juan Castillo can do with them. But then you talk about the backup interior guys of James Stanos is going to play right guard. And who is that? Is that Alex Bars? Because on tape, Alex Bars was awful. So they really don't have good depth players on the interior. And that's a huge. That's where, to me, the most interesting part of this conversation, because, Lester, I'll kick this to you in a second. You're sort of our O-line guru, and I know I ask you about a billion questions about it all the time. But that's where the delineation between Sam Mustafer and Alex Bars becomes really interesting to me, Brandon, because I would make the argument Sam Mustafer and Alex Bars basically played the same in terms of how long they sustained their blocks, how quickly they were able to get to their men. Must have a little bit more fleet-footed, but both of them got railroaded by powerful players, for instance, pretty consistently. But that's where it feels like the position difference, center versus guard, makes all the difference in how you evaluate him. Lester, when you look at Mustafer, like I know you've talked about it, if he can get his core strength up, hit the weight room, maybe he develops into a different player. But almost if you were going to break it down into percentages for those of us who just haven't played the position, how important is the center's ability to get everybody lined up versus his ability to execute his assignments? Does that make sense? Like how much does the mental aspect of center really make the difference in a player, even if he may not have the physical capability of, say, a Tevin James? You know, that's a big part of it. If you look at a guy like James Daniels, who the Bears picked in, in, in the second round a couple of years ago, I mean, the mental part of the game is what kept him on the bench. You know, he, 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 I think he started his, his first uh, four or five games on the bench. You know, they, they just, he just wasn't quite ready to understand, you know, what he was seeing at, at the pro level. And then when he did come in, he was at guard. And, you know, again, he struggled a bit because he wasn't sure with some of the stuff that he was seeing. And then, of course, the next year they kind of made the switch with him at center. And, again, he struggled with the mental aspect of the game, the, the blitz pickups, the, the twist pickups, you know, you know, getting the, 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 the pass pro set. So they had to go back to Cody Whitehair. So – with Muster, I think there's there's a comfort level because I think the quarterbacks trust him, the coaches trust him, uh, his his line mates all trust him. You know, they believe Sam Muster is going to get you know everyone lined up properly on that line and understand. You know, you know, uh, you know, it, it's not just about you know pointing out the mic. It's also you know 
seeing those twists, you know, you know, uh, seeing those, those, those cross dog blitzes, you know, understanding, you know, what you have to do, understand who you have to help, understand which way to line, the line has to slide to, you know, they got like Mustafer again, the physical part, you know, you can work on that. I mean, that's something you can, you can fix in the weight room. That's something you can do, you know, in, in the off season, but the mental part of the game, he has that, he has the leadership. And I think that's what Nagy loves about his game. Brandon, based on what you've seen, what do you think about Mustafer? Not or both in terms of what you've seen on tape and potentially where he develops and so on and so forth as the Bears line looks forward. Well, he he struggles in inside zone and power power run plays because, as Lester said, he doesn't have the physical tools to be able to do those. I think he struggles a little bit with length on top of that. So I think. Like it when when the lake length issues come up, I think those are some of the things that you won't be able to fix. But I mean, if they if they stay with their outside zone scheme, I think I thought he showed the ability to at least be able to reach one text, which is very very important. And he 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 takes great angles as far as moving downfield to linebackers. So I I think there is a little bit of upside there with him. As far as being like a top tier center, I think that'll never happen. I don't think he has the physical talent to be able to to reach there. But I I think he has low starter and and hey, you know what? It, or and hey, you know what? If the Sam Mustaver can reach that point where he becomes a low, maybe even let's stretch it out here, Brandon. Let's say he's a middle tier starter, but he's got Cody Whitehair, Tevin Jenkins, James Daniels, and a performing right tackle. Because I can't imagine Jermaine Effetti is the forever solution behind him. You can build a pretty solid Bears offensive line, and with athletic guys like Justin Herbert and the guy I want to stretch to next. Who look, he's not my favorite pick. I'm not allowed to. Say say that about any draft pick that isn't Justin Fields or even as a discount like Tevin Jenkins and we'll get to Thomas Graham later one of my favorites but I love the Khalil Herbert choice because Brandon you and I talked about this for a while Lester I'm sure or I'm curious to hear what you think about this about how Dave Montgomery felt like he was a draft pick pegged for that inside zone running scheme that Nagy wanted to carry over from Kansas City and we got away from running that a doggone long time ago this Khalil Herbert choice seems like I'm not going to say he is suddenly the starter but in a running back by committee setup he is your classic bang bend or I can't I can never remember the third one bang bend or bounce outside zone running back with the home run threat to take you the distance if you give him the edge I love this choice. I think it adds a dimension to the Bears' offense that they didn't have. Some might point to Tariq Cohen, but Tariq Cohen is more of a scat back, not a true outside zone back. Lester, when you look at this choice, are you seeing what I'm seeing, where he slots in the Bears in that role? You know, when when the when the choice was first made, I wasn't really high on the running back being taken. You know, I really didn't look at much running back tape, you know, pre-draft. But then after he was taken, I watched some of his stuff. Um, I, I checked out what EJ had to say on, on your podcast and I went back and watched more and, you know, he, he does. I mean, he, he seems to be a good fit for what the Bears want to do. He's a, he's a really, really tough runner. Um, he's not very big, but he has really good balance. He has a, a really compact frame. And I think he's a guy that, you know, I, I would love to see Montgomery have his carry scale back a little bit. I'm, I'm not a big fan of having one guy be, be, be the be the main guy there unless he's like, elite i mean if he's elite that's fine but with with, with a guy like montgomery you know scale some of his carries back you know use him more in the passing game 
and then let Herbert get some touches because I think if you have a, a, a guy you can really trust behind them, if you can trust him to kind of complement what the entire offense wants to do, now you're not, you know, tipping your pitches, so to speak. So if a guy like Herbert can be that, I think that's a great plus for the Bears. Plus, Lester, it's really hip right now to have a guy named Herbert on your offense. They are all the rage based on last year. But so, but pointing it to you now, Brandon, what do you think about the Herbert choice? Do you like it? I know you and I talked about inside-outside zone a lot last year's Rule of Three. Yeah, I think he's a bit of a scheme fit, so I, I like that part of it. And then he has kick return ability, so that adds value to him. And I just think that I'm one of those people – Everybody says draft a quarterback every single year. I honestly, I think you should be drafting a running back late in every draft just because you don't want to pay him. So why don't you just take a shot? Because the thing is, the hit rate on running backs is a lot higher on other, than other positions later in drafts. So I, instead of paying Montgomery in two years, why not draft a running back until you find a decent one? And then you just replace him and move on. Because the thing is, the line is more a lot more important in today's NFL than it is the running back position. Brandon, that's so cold-blooded yeah. of you to say that. <laughs> it, it, it is. It, it is. But, I mean, that's, that's just where we are in today's NFL. You know, I, I, mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm the same way. If you're, I mean, I'm not going to say the running backs are a dime a dozen. But, you know, in, like I said, unless you get that elite guy, you know, that's a position that you can kind of have some a, a, a bunch of t- a turnover with because, again – you know, they get used up pretty quickly in the NFL. You know, you can you can find guys, you know, fairly cheap. And then if you can keep that that just churning, you know, you keep the run game going. I'll tell you that the number one thing, if I was going to complain about it, the what is it? The running back position is the only position that I would want the CBA to change the way their pay scale works, because I will forever remember how Jordan Howard put his body on the line for the Chicago Bears is basically the only functional part of our offense, as weird as that sounds, because obviously comes down to a lot of offensive line. But you get the idea. Jordan Howard was just slamming into people constantly. And then when his rookie deal came up, there wasn't anything there for him because his career was basically over. Given the way the CBA is, though, I agree with you guys. I mean, ruthlessness is really the only option, you know? How much juice is David Montgomery going to have in two more years? And especially given just how much talent is always available in those running back er, setups in the draft late in the draft every year, I don't see why you wouldn't. In this case, the Bears got PFF's running back number five. They got an all-SEC runner, if that tells you anything, out of Virginia Tech. And they got him in the sixth round, for crying out loud. This It's great value. I'm with you, Brandon. I think you can always find a weapon there. And I'm excited to see where he goes. From there, we move into Daz Newsom. Do any of y'all have strong opinions about Daz Newsom? I look at his testing numbers, and then I look at his tape. Sure, there's a little bit of difference between them, but for me... If he could be just a guy, and sometimes you take those out of the sixth round. Maybe the pick I'm most disappointed in, but that's not saying much because now I'm complaining about a sixth rounder. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's funny because I was I was actually one of those pe- – like a lot of people wanted the Bears to take a wide receiver in the second and third round, but it was just assumed that that guy was going to be a slot wide receiver. I think slot wide receivers are exactly like running back where, I mean, they're a diamond dozen – and you can get them a lot later in the draft. And, like, instead of drafting, like, a guy, Amon St. Brown, he went a lot later than people expected. But instead of taking a guy like him in the third round, you get a guy like Daz Newsom, who 
I don't think is honestly, I don't think it's very good because to me, it looks like he honestly, it looks like he's running in mud <laughs> when, when he's, when he's, when he's, when he has the ball in his hand, like he's, he can make people miss, but he looks like he's running in mud, honestly. And that's exactly what his testing numbers showed. But I was just glad that they attacked again, attacked the right positions later in the draft. Lester, any big, strong opinion? I mean, I think with a guy like Daz Newsom, you know, he brings you some punt return ability. I think that's part of the reason why they got him there. Um, I think he also may have played some some other on, on the third phase there. So, you know, maybe he's a guy that can kind of come in because if you got look at the roster now, you got Riley Ridley, who's still at, at, in, in two years in the NFL, he's never played special teams. So he's a guy, honestly, if he can't make the roster as a, as a starting X, which ain't going to happen, you know, I'm not really sure where his fit in on this team here. So if you want those depth guys to kind of play the 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 the, the, the teams, maybe Dad's the guy that can can stick. But I'm like Brandon when I watch him play, you know, he 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 doesn't look that fast, but he's making guys miss. So it's like it, it's kind of weird with that. And then the, the 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 pro day numbers were atrocious. I mean, his numbers were one of the worst spider graphs I've seen at that position. It just was, you know, he looked really bad. But then again. He's making guys miss on occasion at college, so you know maybe he's just a guy that kind of needs that uh, to be to be a, to be a pro uh, as his full time job. Maybe he'll tweak some stuff up. Maybe he'll get a little smarter with what he's doing. Maybe he's got something there. But again, we're talking about a six round pick. So can they just try to make it work with with Anthony Miller, please? Can they just can we just somehow like get Justin Fields connected with Anthony Miller, get him in the same city for the summer, and just try to build some connection there so that we can get something out of him instead of just trading him for like some future twenty twenty three seventh round pick? Because that's that's exactly what I can see happening. And you know what? Somebody at one point talked about, first of all, Paul, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this before tangenting off, that you talked about the running back room now having a lot of scheme versatility with Cohen, Montgomery, and Herbert. I completely agree with you. It sets up potential for, as you described, a Patriots week-to-week-to-week varied offense, which, you know what? Matt Nagy would really be proving a lot of Bears fans wrong if he was able to cook up that kind of versatility. We'll have to see, but I I had to mention that point because that was a great one. Thanks for making it. Now getting back to this, Brandon, like you were talking about, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the Miller situation. Somebody said this to me once on Twitter. I thought it was intriguing, and maybe, maybe the Chicago Bears put out that trade rumor very similarly to the way that they told Hicks to go explore trade offers almost as like a check yourself moment because obviously Hicks came back to the bears. No trade happened. And all of a sudden, maybe you wonder whether Hicks saw his market and understood. And Miller now understands the bears are willing to replace him. If he doesn't get his act together, I'm with you. I think with Justin Fields, the best slot option is either Anthony Miller, Tariq Cohen, or a mix of the two. Cause I think Cohen is a very skilled player from the slot. But the best way to do it would be to patch things up. Vic Fangio is able to do exactly that with Kyle Fuller, not with the Broncos, but with the Bears after the knee scope incident and that whole lost season. So we'll see. Maybe this is the turning point moment for Miller. And gosh, the Bears could really use it. Lester, what do you think? Yeah, I think if you can keep Miller, I think that's ideal because, I mean, you know, when he's on, he looks really good. The problem is he kind of disappears in, in game. So how much of that was, was Trubisky? You know, how much of that was just, you know, him not having a good connection with him? I mean, we've kind of seen other, it happen with some other receivers there. Um, so maybe with with 
with, with the rookie fields, maybe with Andy Dalton, you know, maybe there's a, a chance to kind of salvage something out of Miller because, you know, he was a second round pick. And like I said, when he, when he's looks good, man, he looks really special as a player. It's, it's the part of Miller's game. I feel like not enough people talk about Lester. Yes. It's, it's very easy to tell that there are inconsistency issues. His drops have been problematic. The touchdown drop he had against, uh, what was it? The Giants really sticks out because that one was right in his hands. He's obviously had issues running the wrong routes. Matt Nagy even calling him out. But hot dang, when he can run just a simple man-beating concept one-on-one, he wins so often. It looks like – it just looks ununderstandable how this guy can't line up correctly and fit in an NFL offense because he's just so talented. Brandon, I have no idea if you've ever played with a guy like this in your playing experience because as a defensive back, I'm sure you played with and against a lot of different kinds of receivers. But do you think that there is any chance that maybe here in the fourth year in the league, Justin Fields coming in, the tempo around Chicago changing, that something could click for Miller? I think there could if if he is motivated to come and do that. But I honestly, I think them trying to trade him was, I mean, how motivated, it, like a guy that can't run the right routes, how motivated is he going to be to come and run the right routes after they were openly trying to trade you? So, I mean, that's that's the only worry I have. If he can get motivated just because Justin Fields is here and now that he has a quarterback, I mean, if that will work, I mean, you just hope for something with him because he has all the ability in the world. Certainly seems that way. And we're going to have to step aside for sponsors real quick. But when we get back, I can't wait to talk about this next pick. Again, if Justin Fields and uh, and Tevin Jenkins didn't exist, he might be my favorite. Brandon, I know he's yours too, but we will be right back after this. And we are back. The Rule of Three podcast here with Lester Wiltfong and Brandon Robinson as we break down the Bears draft class and talk about the future therein. We are finally down to talking, not Des Newsom, but now on to Thomas Graham. The Bears had one major need, obviously the best cornerback they could get. But, you know, it's very unlikely you find the Richard Sherman out of the seventh round. But you're usually spelunking for the nickel corner that the Bears not only cut in Buster's screen, but haven't been able to find a replacement for. In comes Thomas er, Thomas Graham, somebody that I know, Brandon, you in particular, not that you're some crazy draft, Nick, were willing to see the Bears take in the third, fourth round. How excited are you to see him on this team, and how quickly do you think you can make an impact? I'm very excited just because I was really worried about them attacking the position, and so he was just he was one of those guys that I was looking into that, I mean, maybe that he could slide in the draft because he opted out, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, you look at the production that he had at Oregon. He had 18 PBUs in 2018 and 10 in 2019. I mean, you just you really don't see that out of college players these days. And I just think there's a lot of upside there with his slot ability just because he played outside at Oregon. I mean, you slide him inside, and I, I think you can get out a, lot, a lot out of him because he showed a lot of man-to-man coverage abilities that – I mean, Duke Shelley just really wasn't able to do at all. And Ke- Kendall Vildor, I mean, he struggles a whole lot as far as length comes. I mean, he showed a lot of spatial awareness. I think he'll be good in zones, which, I mean, moving to this new system will help a lot. But I just think adding to that room was a really good. 
I can't agree more. It's a great ad, especially given how much praise Graham has gotten. I haven't gotten through enough of his film to really know much about him. I just know how highly he's been rated, and I can't wait to see him play. Lester, I tend to doubt that you're a huge defensive guru. If you are, feel free to blow my mind. But <laughs> but when I do look at this draft, Brandon mentioned something that I'm curious to hear what you think of. As more of an NFL veteran when it comes to covering the NFL, do you think that there is some chance here that in this particular draft, affected by the pandemic, but you still get all the same picks you normally would, that there is opportunity for late-round value due to guys like Graham that opted out? I think he's the Bears' only one that opted out of the 2020 season, and that means that maybe that this is an artificial slide. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, this, this is a guy, honestly, I watched no, uh, no tape of him pre-draft. I had no idea who he was. And then when the Bears made the pick, but the first thing I noticed of him, I, I looked at it again. I went to I check, check his, 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 uh, his pro day numbers, and his numbers were not very impressive. And I'm like, okay, he's not a very good athlete. But then after the pick, I went, I, I watched some film and, you know, he's a guy kind of like Daz Newsome. you know, the, the testing numbers aren't there, but when you watch the film, you know, he's making plays, you know, with Graham, you know, he seems to have really good instincts and he seems to have a really understanding of, of, of pattern matching. Cause he's a guy that, again, the, 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 the pure speed wasn't there f- from his testing, but he's making plays. He has his hands on a lot of balls. He's making plays, interceptions, uh, a, a pass defense, He's a guy that, you know, the more that I watch, I think he could make an impact for the Bears this year. Brandon, I want to ask you, do you see him playing exclusively in the slot, or can he play outside as well? Um, I think he could play outside. I just – I don't – like, as you say, the testing numbers, I don't think that he really has the ability to be playing that many snaps on the outside. I think he could, like, say there are multiple injuries, but that's just – like Kendall Vilder playing outside – you just you, you don't want to see him out there too much because he's going to get exposed eventually. But Brandon, if just correct me if I'm wrong, help me to understand defensive back a little bit better. I know one thing we've talked about a lot on the other side of the ball on offense is how the slot position is getting more and more and more dangerous with guys like Calvin Ridley, Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson. I mean, name the best wide receiver on almost any football team, and they're starting to take more and more and more of their reps out of the slot because you can get just about whatever release you want off of a bunch set. You can line up against the nickel corner in many cases, and you've got – you can go right, you can go left, you can go up, you can go down. There's so much space to work with that when you look at the nickel corner versus an outside corner that's going to take – they get the sidelines, they're going to probably be going up against a bigger wide receiver. Do you think that that intelligence that Graham seems to display on film is more of an asset on the inside and maybe almost what's going to make or break the difference a la Bryce Callahan? Or do you think that that nickel corner usually needs to be somebody quick and fast and able to match the guys like Anthony Miller, et cetera, et cetera? Teach us about the position. No, I I think that's a very, very good point because, I mean, when you have guys like Devontae Adams that are lining up in the slot just within the division, I think that's a good point. But the thing is, like, if now that Chuck Pagano is gone, I don't think that you're going to see as many man reps from the slot as you did before. And so now in this too high scheme, now if he was to play outside, when a receiver takes you vertical, you have to match it vertically. But when you're playing in the slot, when that slot defender, I mean, when that slot wide receiver 
takes you vertical, then you're passing it off to the safety and you you don't have to carry it. So that's that's where he doesn't have as much pressure to to be able to match those routes vertically. And that's where you see the athleticism not be as important as it is on the outside. I got you. So that's exactly why Bryce Callahan, who wasn't the grandest tester either, the guy was an undrafted free agent, as a matter of fact, that's why his ability to make those flat-footed breaks and basically be one of the league's best flat defenders underneath was so important, and it's why he ultimately moved with Vic Fangio over to the Broncos. It's fundamentally a different position, the nickel corner spot, in a two-high scheme versus a cover-one, cover-three scheme. Is that what I'm getting? Right, exactly. This is a pattern-matching defense, and so you got to be able to pass off routes and to jump onto other routes seamlessly. And that's where a guy like Bryce Callahan, who is so, so smart, is able to do that because he is so good in zone because he has that spatial awareness. He knows exactly when a receiver is about to be passed off to a safety and when he needs to jump onto that crossing route coming across the field. Makes sense to me. I can't wait to see him play. Frankly, I can't wait to see the whole defense, but that's neither here nor there because obviously the focus is on the offense, except for this final pick, not just Thomas Graham, but the Bears also got Kyrus Tonga out of BYU. He was Doug Farrar's DT5. I don't know much about him personally because when I watched BYU's film, <laughs> I was watching the offense, to be completely honest with you. But Tonga comes in at a position that, you know what, if he can provide some value there as a backup nose tackle, that's going to be really helpful. When Hicks wasn't on the field, the Bears had major problems stopping the run. And while they get Goldman back, the more rotational bodies you can have, especially as Goldman gets older and older, the better. What do you guys think of the Tonga pick? Lester, we'll start with you. Yeah, it's another guy, you know, when, you know, pre-draft, I, I had no idea who this guy was. I, I didn't do a, a bunch of stuff on nose tackles. Um, but, but after having a chance to watch you? him play, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but you know, he, he seems like he's a, a really stout player against Ron. Obviously, I think he had 35 reps on the bench. So he's, he, he has some, some, some real good strength to his body here. You know, he, he's, he's a legit 320, you know, 330 kind of guy, uh, 6'2. I mean, he plays with good leverage. Um, his arms seem a little short, you know, from, from watching some of the stuff there, but you know, that can kind of hurt him a little bit. But, but again, he's, he's an inside guy. So that's okay. As long as he can fight inside, if he can hold his ground, if he can, if he can eat up two gaps, I mean, that's his job. He's not going to give you much as, as a pass rusher. But, again, that's not, his, that's not his forte. I mean, he's in there to eat blocks, to, to, to hurt people, and to, and to make plays, you know, from, the, from, from, from guard to guard. That's his job. And I think, you know, he, he should be a guy, you know, because the Bears lost Jenkins. Um, you know, the, he, he should have a place on this defense backing up Goldman. I, I sure hope he does. That would be a major value add out of the seventh. But, Brandon, if you've had the chance to watch any Tonga film, I am clearing you for takeoff here. Burst our bubble. Is this your standard seventh-round pick, or do you think the Bears got a guy that has a little bit more value than his draft slot would otherwise? Uh, I mean, this honestly, this was my favorite day three pick that they made. Just because I was actually, I actually watched a decent amount of Kyrus Tonga during the season just because I was watching Zach Wilson so much. And not only that, but because of the new scheme. In the new scheme, they're going to be playing a lot of tight fronts. And so they're going to be in bare nickel a lot. So that nose tackle position is going to be on the field 
more than ever. So that position is going to be very important because you're going to be needing to push the pocket. And when get Eddie Goldman isn't on the field, they need a backup nose tackle. And he was so, so good at pushing the pocket at, at BYU that I think that that's actually something that translates because as, as Lester mentioned, it, him on the bench press, that's exactly what he's doing. He's bull rushing that center and pushing him back into the pocket. And while that doesn't, that's not going to lead to a bunch of sacks, that's going to be leading to pressures, which throws the quarterback off and disrupts the play. And, I mean, let's be honest here. In a Ryan Pace draft where you went one pick in the first round, one pick in the second round, fell all the way to the fifth round, and that's where you recoup the rest of your draft, picks like Kyrus Tonga make all the difference in the world. This is where talking about draft value gets weird because at one point Cam Chancellor was, if memory serves, he was either a fifth or a sixth rounder. Richard Sherman was a seventh rounder. Talking about the slot doesn't really help contextualize what this player is. But the Bears right now, their their youth on their defensive line is almost exclusively Bilal Nichols. So if Kairos Tonga can come in in a rotational role and, and function at all, play that backup nose spot, I mean, even if he doesn't develop into a starter, that's a huge win out of the seventh round, and I would personally love to see it. What about you, or guys? I mean, if a guy like Tonga, I mean, also one of the pluses that he's bringing with him, let's say he does make the team, you know, hopefully we won't see Bilal Nichols, you know, playing any nose anymore. I think he's a guy that would thrive if he was able to play more of the five-tech stuff, you know, because he just seems like a guy that can, that can beat guards. You know, he, he can beat tackles on occasion, you know, but when he has to, to do more of the, of the two-gap stuff, I mean, that's not really his game. I mean, Bilal Nichols came into the, 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 the 2020 season in great shape, you know, and then – it, it turned out to where, okay, well, now you're a nose tackle because of, of, of the Goldman opt-out. And I'm not sure that's what he was really preparing his body for. I, but I think I think out of all the guys on the Bears defense, the guy that I think is going to have the biggest jump in play is going to be a, a guy like Nick. I think, that, I think that's a great point just because those are two completely different positions. Being able to two-gap is completely different than, being, than just shooting the gap. And, I mean, when you're in the offseason, you're working on that quickness, and then you're moved to a position like Nose where it's just completely about strength. Like, I, he was lucky. Honestly, I was surprised how well he played, he played because I didn't even expect him to – I thought John Jenkins was going to take his spot. And then when Blau Nichols was out there, I thought he was going to get exposed. So I thought how well he played was big, but I'm excited to see what he does this season. You know, it's so funny that you guys talk about that. Uh, I've got a player in mind when I think of Bilal Nichols. He's on the Buccaneers. I believe his name is Willie Golston. He is a, strictly speaking, he's a defensive end. And that's all he is. He's not an inside guy. He's one of those outside guys, just like Akeem Hicks was in the early part of his career. And I never understood moving Bilal Nichols to tackle. I never thought it was going to work. It didn't work, primarily because it's not that Bilal Nichols isn't strong. It's that he's, he's faster than he is strong. And so he can hold his own in a one-on-one setting. But gracious alive, you ask him to two-gap and he gets erased. 
I'm with you, Lester. If Tonga comes on and relieves Nichols, allows him to bump outside, look, I don't ever think that Bilal Nichols is going to become like a key Mahix, a special level player. But again, if he becomes even just a starter at that defensive end spot out of what he was the fifth round, that's going to really help the Bears as they go to keep costs down in the next couple of years, which you've got to think is going to be a concern because now that you've got Justin Fields and uh, had Tevin Jenkins on their rookie deals, this is probably right about the time to gear up for another push, you know? It's not to say that the Bears are going to be competitive immediately, but you better believe that their cap health is in a much, much better place now that the quarterback is in the building. And this was something really interesting. Mitch Trubisky, for those who didn't know, ended up getting paid $27 million over a four-year contract. That's what happens when you draft a guy at number two. Justin Fields, on the other hand, he'll be getting about $18.8 million over those four years. So that's actually, if I'm running the math correctly in my head, about a $3 million per year discount, which only helps the Bears cap more. You can actually get a couple players for that $3 million. When you guys look at the roster in its current construction after the draft, Lester, first give me your impression on how much you think that this draft changed the franchise and how quickly do you think that they can gather themselves and really start to play good yeah, you mentioned the cap. I mean, let's be honest here. If the cap does not go down drastically, this team probably still has Kyle Fuller and Charles Leno both on it. So I think the cap, you know, that, that really affected what they wanted to do this season. Um, I think that, that you know, th- th- they were expecting to drop, you know, the entire year. Um, but, you know, I, obviously when they gave the contracts to Fuller and to Leno, they didn't expect it to happen. So I, I think moving forward, I think I think if the cap can stabilize itself, I think it'll, it'll, it'll be a big help for this team because a lot of the contracts on the team right now, you know, they're not really cap friendly. There's a bunch of void years built in. You know, there's some guys that are getting, you know, a little a little too much money that is stretched out a little too far, like like a guy like like Quinn. You know, so I think I think as far as, as the short term, I think the Bears are obviously much better. Um and then I, again the long term they're better as well, just because of Justin Fields. But you know, he has to do it on the field. I think we all think he can. Uh, we think he's, you know, he, he seems like he is going to be that guy. He carries himself like that guy. You know, there's just a different aura about him when, when you watch him in his pressers, when, 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 he's, when he's on the field. You know, he's just a guy that, it's, it, you know, it's, it's hard to, to, to explain, but when you, when you see it, you know it. He's that dude. I mean, he is that guy. He's the alpha male. He is going to run that locker room at some point, and it's going to happen really early in the let me let me give it a shot, Lester, before I kick it over to Brandon, because I feel like you could help explain it as well. But Mitch Trubisky was a guy who went to North Carolina, and I'm just going to tell his story real fast. So don't think of this as any slant whatsoever. But he went to North Carolina. He sat for three or four years. Memory escapes me. Played for one. Ended up drafting at the two spot to one of the more, I wouldn't call it New York ruthless, but it was a pretty diehard fan base. And what you do will get praised and praised and praised. And what you do wrong will get angry, angry responses. And if you can't handle it, you can't handle it. But Mitch Trubisky was never the guy who was in the media's eye. He was never a Baker Mayfield. He wasn't even a Sam Darnold who was there in college. Justin Fields, on the other hand, I mean, he's been talked about, like we said, he's been compared to Trevor Lawrence since high school. 
He has been competing in the spotlight since he basically started playing organized football. And when I look at that guy coming to Chicago, I see somebody that's more than ready to handle the pressure that the NFL is going to throw at him. Now, how is that going to translate onto the field? I don't know. I've got obviously high hopes and I plan on doing a lot more study and breakdown on a personal level, but that's neither here nor there. I'm with you. I don't get the cautious, I hope I'm going to do well optimism that I got from Mitch Trubisky. I see a calculated, I know exactly what I'm going to do aura coming out of Justin Fields. And honestly, with that chip on his shoulder that he displayed in the different draft call videos, I love it. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. Brandon, talk, talk through the difference between how things feel post-draft class what you see from Fields, I mean, honestly, anything. How are, how are things when you look at the situation? I mean, I, I, I think he shows that natural confidence that he's always shown. Like, transferring from Georgia to Ohio State, his confidence couldn't be any higher. And I think he's he's shown that going forward. Because he the thing is, when he was with Georgia, he knew that he should have been starting. So the reason why he left was because it, it just didn't make sense for him. If you're not – if you're not going to fully buy into to that guy, I don't know who you could possibly buy into. And if Georgia didn't show that, like, wh- why would you, why would you stay in, in like in today's college football? Like, why would you stay if you're allowed to leave and go play at Ohio state? Like you're upgrading. Why, why wouldn't you do that? So I think he's going to come in day one. You're going to see that personality. You're going to see that flair. I guess it's going to be, honestly, I think the bears are going to be, they're, they're going to have their hands tied with not starting him week one, even if I don't think that he necessarily needs to start week one. That is going to be extremely interesting. I mean, I know we saw it with Mike Glennon, who plenty of people I, – I was way too optimistic back when Glennon started. I mean, that was years ago. So I think I was still in college at the time. But I was. You were so young back then, uh, young and naive Lester, when it comes to the Bears. I yeah. was driving. I was driving through. No, I'm remembering it now. I was working. I was just starting to work, and I was driving back from work, listening to you. As a matter of fact, talk about how the Bears should pick Deshaun Watson, and I was disagreeing and thinking the Bears should pick <laughs> Trubisky at the time. So there you go. Wow. Blast uh, from uh, the past. But yeah, I mean, we were living through a world where every time Mike Glennon threw an incomplete pass, he was right about time to put in Trubisky. So like you're talking about, Brandon, it is going to be tough for or like if for a coaching staff that seems surprisingly willing to listen to media criticism, where when you complain about not running the ball, Matt Nagy goes out and runs it more than he throws it until usually the game gets away from him and then he has to throw it a whole bunch more. Uh it's going to be really intriguing to see what happens with Fields and when he starts. Lester, when you look at this, how early do you see him getting in, if at all? Do you think he starts week one? When you look at the offensive line, the quarterback, and maybe even the coach and GM's contract situation, what are you seeing? I think with a guy like Justin Fields, I think everyone in that in that locker room will know when it's time for him to start. I mean, I'm not just talking the coach. I'm talking the players. So if, if he's – if he's doing it on the field, like I said, he's he is that alpha. He's that dude. I mean, he's going to show that, that that team, you know, that he's ready to do it. I mean, he has a he has a high football IQ. He he's not going to there's there's nothing that's going to really shake him. He's going to go in the locker room. He's going to go into preseason. He's going to play really well. I'm assuming. Yes, there'll be some mistakes here and there, but he he's going to own it. I mean, he's a guy that you know nothing's going to shake him. 
you know, he's been through, you know, the, the real big stage, you know, he's been, you know, in the spotlight his entire, you know, uh, a, a life basically. I mean, he's just been that guy. So I think that when will the Bears start him? I think they'll, at some point they'll have no choice. Um, I think if Andy Dalton is playing and he's playing, you know, well enough to, 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 to look like he's, you know, I'm not going to say he's he's going to be great because I think he's he's he'll be better than what we saw last year for the Bears, but I think as long as Dalton's playing well, they're not going to want to rush the change. But at some point, you know, even if the Bears are are four and zero, you know, and and Dalton is playing great, if Fields is ready, they'll make the change. It is going to be really interesting. The guy that I learned this from was Gardner Minshew's tape. But you can't fake NFL experience. I mean, it's just not something that shows up. People talk about ready-made quarterbacks. I've seen comments about Trey Lance versus Mac Jones. Like, who was readier for the pros? And the truth is, is that NFL coverages are just so different. Brandon, I'm sure you could talk a lot more than I could about this. But safety play, defensive back play, the effectiveness of the players, it's just different. And it takes a little while to get used to. So I can completely understand where Matt Nagy is coming from, that he wants to sit fields for as long as he can. But I'm with you, Lester. I don't know how long that's going to be. I'm curious to see whether Dalton's able to last longer than Glennon did four games into the season. But I do think it's all going to come down to fields. I mean, if fields rocks OTAs, comes into camp, and it just lights out, I don't know how he doesn't get the ball. But that's also a big ask of a rookie. And I will certainly, I just want to put this out here, what is this, three days after the draft, if Fields isn't the starter and hasn't quote-unquote gotten there yet, that's not weird. Because rookies just, you can't skip the line. Does that make sense, Brandon? Yeah, I mean, exactly. And I mean, with the the expectation on this team, they have one of the lowest win totals out there. I, like, I don't think... Like, after they start losing games, which is expected because I don't think the the offense is really going to be that great. And with the defense, I think you could probably expect a step back just because the secondary, they, they don't really have the players to do it. I think once they once they start losing the games, that's when everybody's going to be called for calling for Justin Fields, and then they're eventually going to just do it. <laughs> Won't surprise me at all. And, hey, it'll be it'll make for a really fun season. When you guys look at this team as we go ahead and wrap up, do you see them, based on this draft, performing better than we thought they were? Do you think that it's going to be a surprising season? Or do you think it'll ultimately be a team that's just setting up for the future? Lester, we'll start with you. You know, I think the, like I said, I think the offense will look a little better this year. Um, I just think with Andy Dalton, there's, there's certain things that you can do as a play caller that you just couldn't do with Mitch. Um, I think that the offense will have to take that little step but the problem is with the defense, and are they going? How far is a step back will they take with with, with the guy like Kyle Fuller gone? You know, will there be a transition going to to, to Sean Desai? I kind of think that Sean Desai will kind of, you know, give this defense a boost. So I, I'm not as, as down on them, you know, for for the next season as some people are. I think they're going to be back in the playoff mix again. Well, you know, Lester, it's funny you talk about it before I get it over to Brandon because I I have been repeating this almost ad nauseum like as a qualifier before I talk about how hard the schedule is. But 
you never know how hard the schedule is because you don't know what the team that you're going to play looks like until the week you show up in the stadium. And could there be any more clear evidence of just how long we need to wait before making, you know, those schedule predictions where we predict their record than Aaron Rodgers potentially transferring out of the division or not playing at all? Because obviously that could swing their record from, say, six and what is it now, 11 to seven and nine or even higher depending on where they go it'll be really interesting to see what happens obviously there are all kinds of different rookies that uh that play all the time and and different efficacies that they display in that you could get a Deshaun Watson rookie season you could get a Joe Burrow rookie season you don't really know but I think that this season, the best way I would phrase it is it's all about expectations. Going into this before we had Justin Fields, 2021 was the last gasp of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Now that they have Justin Fields, winning and losing, it's less important. And what happens in 2022 and beyond starts to get a little more important. But everybody's just going to be watching. I believe he's going to be wearing number one, if I heard it correctly. Brandon probably knows, just as a guess. Brandon, when you look at this team, do you think they got better, like, in the wins and loss totals after this draft, or do you think we're going to see it more in the He will be wearing the number one jersey, which makes him a guaranteed future Hall of Famer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's guaranteed. It's written in stone. But, no, I, I, w- I wish I had as much optimism as Lester. I, I, I guess there – there, there is more, uh, I guess, upside with with how happy I will be if they if they do truly surprise me. I think a lot a lot of it will rely on the run game, just because I mean Andy Dalton, he doesn't have the arm to push anything downfield. So I I think while he's in, Darnell Mooney will be minimized versus when Justin Fields is in there and he's able able to attack those defenses downfield. But I mean, as as far as the defense is concerned. I mean, you hope to get more out of Desmond Trufant just because they'll be switching to more of a zone scheme, and he was kind of exposed in a man scheme last year with with Matt Patricia. So you hope you hope to get what he what he displayed in the 2019 scheme when he was when he was playing majority of zone. But I mean, with, with his injury history and their depth at corner, I I, I just have my doubts. What if I said it this way, Brandon? Because this might be the ultimate way that I feel is. I think that there's actually quite a decent chance, if not a outright good chance, that the 2021 Bears would beat the 2020 Bears. I think that they may put a better football team on the field. The question is going to be whether the teams that they play, and let's say, let's just put that aside for now. Let's talk about how good the team is. Whether the teams that they play are going to give them the record that gets them into the playoffs. I don't really know. Like you're saying, Lester, I mean, the Bears were in playoff contention last year, and I'm not sure that made them good. So we'll see what happens. But obviously, with a brand new quarterback under center, all eyes are on Justin Fields and just what's about to happen. As we close up, guys, what are you guys working on? Brandon, we'll start with you. Where can folks find you? Thanks so much for coming on the show and having this conversation. What or what are you working on here going forward as we spin out from uh, you can find me at B-Rob NFL. I hope to break down some more film of Charles Snowden. I think he's an interesting UDFA that the Bears picked up because the thing is they need an outside linebacker opposite of Khalil Mack that shows a lot of versatility, and Robert Quinn is exactly the opposite of that. 
So I, I think if, if there if there is some way that he can contribute right away, that would be great. I think he's kind of small, and that, that'll be hard in the run game. But I think he shows a lot of versatility as far as dropping into zones, and that's exactly what that position will be asked to do. Lester, what about you? Yeah, you can find me on uh, Windy City Gridiron. You can find me on Twitter at WiltfongGR. And, and honestly, I'm not sure we have going to come up with a site. We got so much stuff. We had so much stuff just hammered, you know, the entire weekend. We got a whole bunch of stuff lined up the rest of the week. So, you know, it's just, you know, stick with us for all your uh, your, your post draft Bears coverage. <laughs> Dan, you shouldn't be too quite shocked at the optimism. This is a Bears site, but yeah, Lester. I'm with you. What WCG is going to be an absolute fountain of content, not just this week, but throughout the rest of the offseason. Anybody ever, anybody and everybody Chicago Bears related, stick with us and we will keep you posted. Guys, that's going to be it for this show of the Rule of Three podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. And thanks so much for hanging out with us. Chi-town, you know what it is. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. Yeah, Windy City, you know what it is. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. Yeah, when I touch down at O'Hare.